everybody, and welcome back to Bond by Numbers. Thank you very much for joining us here today. It's the 50th anniversary of Live and Let Die. And the three three of us, Scott, Josh, and Jeff, are together again to... uh, uh, to, to what? What are we doing? Are we digging up old Earth, guys? Are we? Is this necessary to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Live and Let Die? Because on, on my rewatch, sure it is. It, it's it's a problem, Phil. It's a problem, Phil. Well, we'll get into that, but I mean, it's still considered yes. one of the most famous Bond films, one of the most famous Bond songs. It has a legacy, and uh, we can't ignore it, regardless. And and uh, other people are going to be talking about it, good or bad. So why not we jump into the discussion as well? Yeah. We'll add our voices to the uh, to the discussion, but Just it is a nice chat over coffee. Yeah, well, my coffee's all all but gone because uh, <laughs> we've we've been trying so hard to get the te- technical side of things going. Mine too. Yeah, yeah. we had the kind of the Benny Hill music yep. going there for a while. Anyway, here we are. Um, thanks everybody for joining us. It's uh, it's only our second episode of our final season. We met last month in person to have a bit of silliness around our uh, top trumps, and today we are reconnecting to discuss Roger Moore's premiere as James Bond 50 years ago. 50 years, guys. That doesn't make me feel old at all. No. At all. Well, it shouldn't make you feel old, but anyone who's still alive that was on the production, sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jane Seymour. She's like in her 70s now, I think. Early 70s. Early 70s. She's the same age as my parents. Yeah, she still posts on Instagram and she looks like fan fucking fantastic. So I mean, yeah, she does. She's fantastic. She is fantastic. She is fantastic. Yeah. But one of the things, you know, not not to kind of get into discussion <laughs> right right away, but one of the things that I I struggled with was kind of reevaluating my adolescent opinion of her and now my adult opinion of her. <laughs> even even yeah. when we did the episode a few years ago, uh in back in season 1, you know, we did our retrospective back before we knew Bond by Numbers would even have a second season. Uh, when we did the film, I remember feeling then like, yeah, she was really young and coming back to it again this this week, it's, it struck me like he was 43. I'm not so sure. I don't know. Would we, would we see a casting duo like this? It would be, it would be a totally different casting. And one thing I noticed, uh, this time around, maybe I just noticed it before because seeing it like in high definition and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But does, does it look to me like she's kind of been bronzed in that movie a bit? Oh, she was in a couple of scenes, absolutely bronzed. Yeah. Yes. So, and, like, are, uh, are they trying to suggest that she might have been a, a bit of like, uh, there's some, I guess, mixed blood in there? Is that what they were suggesting with her character? I don't to think explain so. The voodoo, like, mm. uh, lineage. Well, maybe, that, that maybe, has. but uh, every other scene, she's like, you know, virginal white snow. So I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that that's going yeah. on, but it could be, yeah. I don't know. It could be. Yeah. And I was thinking, yeah, Jane Seymour, that's not even like her real name. She has like a different birth name. That's just like her stage name. Interestingly enough. Um, also, uh, I watched the film the other night uh, with a friend of mine who's a casual James Bond fan. So he's never seen live and let die. Oh, and I, okay. Wow. And, yeah. So it's important to say that, his first Roger Moore experience was on a plane going to Thailand. And this, of course, is the man with the golden gun. Mm-hmm. And he was not impressed with what he saw. Okay. But then again, it was probably on a very crappy VHS-like <laughs> projection mm-hmm. on old TV style. He, he, just, he just wasn't, wasn't impressed by it. Interestingly enough, he did not recall J.W. Pepper in that film. But he did notice J.W. Pepper. How? 
yeah, he's kind of he's kind of yeah, there, yeah. you know. He I pops. know, but he but he did notice J.W. Pepper in this movie because I mean, how can you not? And you not? on top of that, uh, he he essentially said this: if I, if I was watching TV and I turned Live and Let Die on, say if it was on one of like you know TBS's big Bond marathons, and I started watching, oh, yeah, like watching if, if I started watching Live and Let Die, and the scene that I saw was like the whole jw pepper boat chase sequence set piece i would probably have turned it off that's mm. what he told me uh interesting i wonder i wonder if uh if that would be the case back then because i think i'm i think i mm. remember saying something that when this went to television in the 70s like it was really popular plus it was. you know you had a lot more stuff going on then i know it wasn't quite the same time but you got your Smokey and the bandit vibes you get your um, well, Dukes what, of Hazard vibe coming saying. ten years yeah, later. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, and we got yeah. and we got Joe Mankiewicz. Yeah. Joe Mankiewicz continuing a trend of mm -hmm. parodying mm -hmm. the James Bond model since Diamonds Are Forever, Americanizing it in terms of Hollywood cinema as well. Like more so, if you, even if you think of like you know Broccoli and Saltzman, Canadian and American, so they had Hollywood sensibilities. You know when they're making the Bond films in the '60s, but there still had that British feel to it, you know? And I think Diamonds Are Forever was kind of the, the slow Americanization of James Bond or Hollywoodization of James Bond outside of, you know, what they're doing at Pinewood Studios and all that sort of stuff. I always felt that way. And I think Joe Mankiewicz was doing that with his scripts. Sorry, Tom Mankiewicz. Tom Mankiewicz, Tom Mankiewicz. <laughs> yeah. Tom Mankiewicz, my apologies. Well, I think, um, I think you're partly right, but I also remember reading Mankiewicz's biography or autobiography where he was saying that um, one of the reasons the J.W. Pepper character was in there and as exaggerated as he was, was because they wanted Black America to have something to laugh at as well. Because mm. so much of the film is geared towards Black is, equals evil, that they wanted the African-American community to have a little something okay. as well. And I, I mean, if, if it was tokenistic, it was tokenistic. Regardless of the motive, regardless of the the, the genesis of it, the guy came back for another movie. You know what I mean? So you know how you solve that problem? You make you give Strutter a bigger role and make him and not well, kill him off. Yeah. But you know that, that and that's he was revisionist cool when history. He was in there. Right? He was cool when like when he first gets introduced. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah, nice job, Bond, a white face in Harlem. You know, like I already liked the rapport between them, and it could have yeah. worked out. You know, but well, what else did your buddy say? What was his verdict overall? Mm -hmm. Well, just to go through a couple of points. So, uh, Jane Seymour, he was like, he was he was surprised that was Jane Seymour, Doctor Quinn, medicine woman, and uh, I, mm -hmm. and you know, so he was definitely impressed with yeah. uh, her kitty cat, her aesthetics. Yeah, exactly. Um, he found like he agreed with me that Yafet Koto is a good actor, but he found like Kananga very bland. And one thing I agree with him on is how pointless and. And in, like why the whole mask reveal, it feels like they were building up to be a big reveal. And really, it doesn't amount to anything in the movie, if you think mm -hmm. about it. Like Kananga could have just like been a Mr. Big and not worn a mask all the time because when they took the mask, mask off. Yeah, he, I don't know. He, he just felt that it was kind of. <laughs> what do you think about that? Hmm. Jeff? <laughs> I because mean, it's I, pretty good. It's a pretty good mask in 73, you know. Because but. if everyone in his organization knows that he's Mr. Big, like, you know, Teehee knew that he was Mr. What's Big. Like, what's the point of him wearing the mask, yeah. right? Unless he's meeting other people and trying to hide that identity. But really, it 
it doesn't really amount to much. He could just they could have just not have met James Bond in New York. But I mean, you wouldn't have those stories in the movie, obviously, right? So yeah, I guess it works for the sense of the movie. But in mm-hmm. terms of like that as a big reveal, it wasn't really much. Like no, it was it was no surprise. Uh, at least that's that's. His I mean, he could have just it. had glasses with a nose and a mustache. I mean, really, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, uh, Rosie Carver, Gloria Hendry, uh, worst secret agent he's seen. And the worst actress he's seen as a secret agent. Uh, sorry, Gloria. Uh, he loved all the New York City. He said the New York City stuff was probably one of the strongest parts of the movie. Uh, he really liked like the the real twists and turns and the visuals, like when Bond goes in the booth and it spins around, or when it goes down into the ground and traps him. Uh, he really liked kind of like the the inventiveness of, of the visuals in the movie and of like the, all the all the sets and stuff. Did he like the the pinwheel. I'm sorry. Did he like the pimp mobile? Oh yeah, absolutely. The car, the yeah, mobile. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, he found the sets solid. Um, he said that like you could definitely have taken that whole boat chase scene with J.W. Pepper out of the movie, and it wouldn't have lost anything. And I one hundred percent agree with them. Because... Oh, I don't know. I this is this is where I'm going to step in. I like that opinion. I'm glad that he has that, but I don't yeah. agree with that. To me, upon watching this film mm. again. I think that boat chase that you ask me like where it stays in the Pantheon, that boat chase for me really went up. And the reason it went up for me and the reason I like it is because I thought this time around, maybe third or fourth time properly watching the film, I got a good feel for the editing of that chase scene. And I think it's great. I like the moments of quiet. I like the silence. I like the long shots. It's not so frenetic. It's not so in your face. It feels like oh, an I actual see what boat there. chase. Yeah. And I think I, when I he like was it. saying that's I think yeah. it's a highlight of the film. I wouldn't have taken that out at all. I think what he meant is you could edit JW Pepper out of the film. Like you could have easily have cut his scenes out or replaced him with like Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like he said, like overall, like yeah. there were some cool scenes in the boat chase. It might have went on a little too long in some parts. Uh, but he said everything else though, he said it was 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 really good and and he enjoyed it. Like he was actually digging it from the beginning, uh, onwards and stuff. And uh he, he, you know, and, and this is a guy who went in a very kind of antagonistic or apprehensive about J- Roger Moore's James Bond. And he actually enjoyed Roger Moore in the film. He said he came off a bit, a bit uh, ruthless and, and sociopathic and, in some moments. And I said, yeah, that's more trying to be Connery, but just not quite getting that balance like Connery yeah. does, you know? And that's why I said, I told him, like, yeah. when you get into further Roger Moore, like, the Spy Who Loved Me, for example, you see Roger making Bond his own, it, it, making his own version of Bond. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, so that's just some points from the outside. J.W. Pepper was cringe, but, you know, as we discussed, I mean, that, that's his own perspective. Um, but he liked the sets. Uh, you know, he overall enjoyed the movie. And uh, it definitely, he said that, I would definitely consider now watching more older Bond films, you know? So, yeah. Cool. But... But he's not a fan of the song "Live and Let Die," even okay. before he saw the movie. Uh, I don't know if you. If, I think this is a kind of a relevant point because I did find it kind of jarring in in a way compared to other songs and other Bond songs in particular. Is that you get this slow ballad starting, and then which he likes. He likes the slow ballad. He's a big Beatles fan too, mm-hmm. so he likes the slow ballad. But then it goes into like this dun 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 dun. Like he found he found that like, and he's a, he's also a musician as as, as well. So he just found that like it's jarring how it jumps, it changes in tone. And he and that's what he said too, is it's like it's just like that's that big chase scene 
with like JW Pepper and stuff. Like he, it feels like this guy is in a totally different movie than what I was watching previously. So, yeah. Okay. So that's basically uh, notes from the peanut gallery uh, in regard to my friend's perspective as a first time viewer of Live and Let Die. Cool. Uh, so, Josh, just, I'm just going to sort of make a note here. So, like with our mutual uh, friend that had, you know, was uh, giving you his points on, on Live and Let Die. Uh, and I know that uh, he is a Beatles fan uh, and a Paul McCartney fan. Uh, and it's funny because, uh, you know, upon my viewing again of it recently, I honestly kind of thought the song didn't, it was a bit where it was edited, how it was edited and used in the film is a bit clunky to me. Uh, and it's interesting because, I mean, the things I like about the song are some of the things I think maybe don't work the way it was used in the film, because you have sort of like those orchestral moments, you know, and then you have like, because the song is almost like three different entities, right? And I feel like how it was used in certain it is, parts, actually, yeah. it, it, it actually is. didn't work. Um, but as a as a full song, like, because I'm so used to just listening to the song, just like putting it on, you know, and just jamming out to it. But it's funny because when you watch it as it's placed and edited in the film, I actually feel that it <laughs> the song and the film and how it's been edited and placed is a bit of a detriment. It it almost doesn't work in certain things. That's just me on a, on a rewatch. So I can see maybe why. Um, Huh. Where where did you feel like the, it, it, the, 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 the song doesn't really work too well in the film? I'm just curious. I, I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just was, curious. Um, like, I I think there was a scene. I think there was like a swell of the in the in the bathroom scene when mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Rosie goes in, and then I think the snake part. But there was. I just feel like because they're trying to use it as like you would use sort of like the normal sort of Bond score. Hmm. bits here and there and they're the trying to use the, the, for it, the john berry method yeah yeah and i just thought it i know like i get why they're trying to use it because obviously you know the way that the the song was composed but i just felt it didn't work so i'm curious so i mean i noticed that myself mm -hmm. watching it this time so that's why i'm curious maybe uh you know he was thinking the same thing but uh that's just uh, sort of another observation I had about it. But that being said, I I, I love the song. I, I obviously we all enjoy the song as it is because it is a fantastic song. But mm -hmm. I, I don't know why this time I just it just kind of felt like struck you different, yeah. Some yeah, but that's, yeah. that's just my opinion. I guess well, maybe maybe you're finally coming over to the uh, the softer rock <laughs> side of things. Maybe maybe you need to. Oh, you, the, know? you mean I need to get a Rita Coolidge like laser disc? I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I just <laughs> said maybe the first with Homer. Yeah. Maybe you're starting to soften up. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, going back to that though, it's possible. He did say though that like the the song with like he was very impressed by the uh, opening titles actually with the Maurice Binder titles with the sure. oh, with yeah? the song. Okay. So he thought that was pretty cool and 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 and, and trippy. So. So, mm. so that you know, that's a factor. And one thing I point out too, actually, is that I actually really like. I forget. The, I don't know who the singer or the actress is, but when it's sung in the fillet of soul, oh, yeah, like that. Even though, like, it feels like it's a forced marketing of the song kind of moment. Yeah. At the same time, it still kind of yeah. works in the movie when mm. they use like the actual lyrics of the song that does. over the score. But I, I think what too. Jeff, I think what Jeff is saying about the score and and the harmony and the melody of "Live and Let Die" in the movie. 
I find that uh, maybe just John Barry takes the, the 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 orchestral versions of like the songs, and maybe David Arnold does this in a good way, and he he blends them really well into the score. Whereas I found George Martin's score is just a bit kind of like blaring more so than usual and kind of grinding it in. I don't know because everything else about Martin's score. I really like the funkiness of it, the soulfulness of it, and it works so well for the movie. There's some pieces of music that I kind of enjoy more and more as I hear it, mm -hmm. but I can kind of see how some people might feel that like they're pushing the live and let die song a little more, but that could just be just the casualty of rewatching a movie and yeah, yeah, and being in a certain mood or a different view, uh, perspective when you're watching it. You yeah. know what I mean? Sure. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it's all, that's what it's all about. Uh, yeah. So uh, one observation that you mentioned at the start of the show was about, of course, how the 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 the, the bond solitaire relationship dynamic just kind of is a bit it wouldn't hold up very well these days. Yeah, I, I don't think it would. I don't think no. it would. I mean, when I was growing up, Jane Seymour, you know, I, w I found her ridiculously appealing, shall yeah. we say. And she was my favorite Bond girl. But the truth is, like, really, and I, we said this three years ago when we when we looked at the show as adult men, that yeah. she is sexualized within an inch of her young life. She was, what, 20, 22 years old filming yeah. this with Moore, who was 20 years ahead of her. I can't think of a Bond girl who is under the male gaze more yeah. than her. And I mean that even if you go back to, like, even yeah. if you go back to, like, uh, uh, honey rider you know like pussy galore all that like the names are what they are but solitaire all of her all of her costumes push her breasts up and out all of her her hair it's like you know tight or flowing it's like there's no yeah. in between subtlety with her at all and like yeah. you said that they bronze her up almost to make her like a uh, like an idol, you know, in a couple of scenes, that, that hypersexuality. Of course, she's beautiful. Of course, she's stunning. And yeah, in 1973, they wouldn't have looked at it in quite the same way. No. But but I, I don't think this casting would ever happen today. Anything close to this casting would ever happen today in a Bond film, would it? I think yeah. the character would still work today, but you gotta you have to tune it, tweak it in a certain way. Like, yeah. if you had, like, solitary oh, yeah. being, like... Uh, you, you don't want it like a virginal you don't want like a vestal like virgin Pokemon card. <laughs> yeah, like you 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 don't want Solitaire to be like as she was in a movie, kind of like a vestal virgin type character. So once she's deflowered, then she loses her powers. Like you want to take all that out of the story 100 percent right? Because it just doesn't jive these days. But you know, you want to make her maybe a bit make her kind of feel more powerful and maybe even make her almost like a a villain starting out and maybe mm -hmm. You want to basically create um, like a story, a separate storyline for her outside of Bond, and make those two arcs kind of work together. Yeah. And instead of being just like the Bond girl, you know. Yeah. 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 I see. I see what you're saying about that. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. The um. Yeah. Yeah. Make her kind of like a, I don't know, like a, like, almost like a Melisandre, you know, like just like this scary sorceress kind of person who works for Kananga. But then eventually, you know, she changes sides. Or something. Like, from Game of Thrones. Like, like, yeah, like, the, yeah, like, you know, just a, like, or Morgana, like Helen Mirren, Excalibur, just some kind of like scary kind of priestess type person who has a Mayday moment, I, I guess you mm -hmm. could say, and then, tr and then joins, joins with Bond. You know, I think that's how you can modernize that kind of character is what I'm trying to say. Well, 
you know, if you think about it, guys, like even eight years later, I don't know why I'm talking about like here we are, like, you know, they wouldn't have cared so much back then. Eight years later, along the timeline, we get For Your Eyes Only, where Bond is put off by the young BB doll. And he finds her really, and I know that she's a very different character. She comes on to him. She's very, you know, promiscuous or whatever. But it's almost like the same actor, same age difference, this time complete opposite. He's not interested in using her as a sexual tool, where realistically he could probably to get close to Christatos, to get close to uh, Kegler, right? Is it because she's American? <laughs> maybe yeah maybe maybe so i just think i like, just think it's roger moore having more control of his character than, mm-hmm. than he did under like yeah. under under the broccoli under saltzman and broccoli back then yeah I because think by right. that point he's with john glenn and he mm-hmm. and, and uh and we also know that roger moore wasn't really happy doing the older doing like you know it, it's, it's like the whole thing with like uh Cary grant saying like make sure that you know audrey hepburn's character is going after me and not the other way around you know, like he wanted to be, I felt like Roger Moore was uncomfortable by that point, but he had enough pull and clout by Free Eyes Only where they kind of made fun of that dynamic instead in that movie and 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 how, you know, Bond is kind of all freaked out by it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Compared right. to Live and Let Die. So you're saying it's more of an actor's call thing than a cultural cue. Yeah, you could be right with that. Can I ask you guys this one, okay? Uh, just to move away from that subject, um, just to ask you something about the opening scene, because upon rewatch, I really noticed this, and I'm surprised I didn't notice it the, when we reviewed it a few years back. You notice when M comes into Bond's apartment at the beginning, right? Yeah. He really scrutinizes more in the kitchen, and to the to the point where the camera yeah. holds M looking at him, yeah. and I'm I'm wondering if if that's it's almost like he's checking yeah. him out to make sure. He's all right. And is that, is, do you think that's the camera's way of asking the audience to do the same thing with this new actor? Oh, I, I was thinking it was actually almost comedic. Um, just sort of the sla- the physical comedy of, you know, Bond sort of uh, getting woken up and having a, you know, a, a girl in his bed and he's trying to, you know, just sort of, oh, you know, first appearances with his boss, brings him in, trying to, you know, corral him into the kitchen, get away from where the girl mm-hmm. is, and then, you know, making the coffee and just sort of having having his boss sort of breathe down his neck and sort of, yeah, again, just sort of um, really sort of uh, give him the third degree. And then obviously, you know, with the coffee, maybe is that all it does? It's like you've never had a cappuccino before. Mm-hmm. You're the, yeah, like, that's right. really, you've never talked to like potentially, you know, the head of intel- Italian intelligence. You've never <laughs> really, you didn't know what a cappuccino machine looks like, but. Um, but I was saying, I, I think I mentioned this to you guys before. I almost felt like the way it was filmed and the sort of like the humor behind it, and, and this shows sort of like the new style with with uh, Roger Moore, uh, you know, being the new Bond. Is that I almost felt like it was Blake Edwards because we all know that that um, Moore has a bit more comedy, physical comedy to his his Bond, and uh, I just thought it was almost. It almost felt like I was watching the party with. Well, Peter Sellers, uh, yeah. uh, just with that kind of, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. And so I just felt like it, it felt a little like that a bit for that opening scene. Yeah, it, was, it cool. was a bit of like it was a bit of a fun kind of old old screwball like com- r- r- rom com feel to it, I, I guess. Oh, One thing you mentioned about how like you know that scene with a close up on uh, M and how we're kind of as the audience we're relating to M, kind of scrutinizing the new Bond. But then we got that confirmation that Bond is here because you know what. Money Penny has his back, right? Like as Jeff told me when he was texting. Money Penny's a bro. Money Penny's a bro. Yeah. 
<laughs> helping Let's him out. Yeah. 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 Uh, That's funny. So like we have uh, Money Penny, you know, just just coming in there and naturalizing, normalizing this new bond into yes. the franchise, yeah. right? Yeah. So. T- telling the audience it's okay. This guy's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. You see in the the pre-title sequence, um, the, what's with the um, the number of people involved in killing in New Orleans that uh, that agent? My, my like there's fifty. Pointed, there's at least fifty yeah. people on the street say, that's that are a large, must be complicit in that. Yeah, yeah. My uh, which friend, is cool, and that to me. <laughs> go, go ahead, Josh. No, I'm saying my friend pointed that out. He says, "Are all those people like? Are they all in on it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It must be. They must all be Mr. Big." paid off by. yeah and I, I like that because it makes me think like that's that's the scale of which this organization runs they they can have that amount of money where they can literally pay like like a neighborhood or a community yeah to be yeah. able to do this yeah you know for sure yeah oh, well. they, have the plan, they, they, right? they yeah. can literally kill someone have them fall in the middle of the street pick them up and just do like <laughs> an actual jazz funeral yeah and yeah. just get away with it like you know, well, it's like the mafia. That, to me, I was going to mention that. It's like it makes it maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's what I mean. Exactly. It's like, but it's just they're so powerful. They could do it in the broad daylight. They could do it like it's not even like they're being quiet about it because it's literally going on during a jazz for all music. So like, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like that. I thought that was kind of cool. I just. Yeah. You see when Whisper kills Charlie, right? Driving Bond, right? On the on the freeway, which is a really cool scene. And in our episode, I remember we were talking about how the roads were shut down for it on a Sunday morning and all that stuff. But what, like, how would Whisper have committed that killing if his window wasn't down? I just was looking at that and I was wondering. Yeah, it wouldn't, was it like, wouldn't have changed the course of the plot because Bond just goes to see Lighter anyway. And it didn't really seem to, to matter much apart from Charlie got killed. I feel he just but, would have pulled out like okay. A massive hand cannon and just shove, like, do the dirty hairy pistol. That would have been yeah. his backup. Okay. Charlie, uh, back. yeah, I guess. Whisper doesn't strike me as like a Magnum guy, though. He doesn't strike me as a guy who would pull out one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's funny about Whisper, like the scene in the oh, bathtub, gosh. the scene in San Monique when he's in the bathtub and the snakes was the snake yeah. is released. Yeah. Like, we were wondering, like, was there a conversation afterwards where, where some guy told Whisper, "You stupid idiot! I put the snake in the, in the in there, and you came in and interrupted the snake killing him in the bathroom. Like we we almost had him, but you had to come in and deliver his yeah. food or whatever, right? <laughs> but yeah, champagne yeah. interrupt us. Yeah, yeah. So but in retrospect, though, was that them kind of putting the, <laughs> what was was the point of putting the snake in there to kind of give uh, credulity to Rosie Carver coming in to kind of establishing the double cross? The, the, the double yeah, potentially potentially so yeah like playing also, like not someone's playing snake, 4d right? chess yeah mm. well that that's given the script a lot of credit and <laughs> and mr big too i don't know i don't know uh, yeah anyway uh oh i found out by the way um you know the the, the taxi driver right who's like for an extra 20 i'll take you to a cook oh, out right? i love yeah. that guy. yeah 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 20 dollars yeah. in 1973 has about 140 dollars worth of this, worth of like you know spending currency 140 bucks today so <laughs> wow. would you would you really do that for 140 bucks no well he would but mr big mustn't be paying him very much if yeah, 20 he if, if he would do that for 20 bucks you probably find J.W. Pepper there. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, that would have. Yeah, you're probably, you're probably right. Probably yeah. right. I don't know. I just and I think I think uh, also the man with the gold the gun also establishes 
I'm not trying to say this about every person of that, you know, who votes for that political party in that, <laughs> yeah. in that fashion, but isn't there a whole thing about elephants or something? Uh, or, yeah. or, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. he's yeah. a day, something about yeah, Democrats, yeah. anyways. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think, do we have another heading you want to, you want to talk about? Like, does it hold up or something? Like, well, I mean, 50 years uh, on, should we talk about whether the film actually holds up? highlights what was your favorite parts of the movie um that the speedboat chase was fantastic i i liked bond's meeting uh kananga or mr big sorry i like that stuff all bond in new york stuff was good the, the film yeah. did strike me as a little bit slower i felt like its middle half was a bit slower than i remembered it being. yeah, yeah. I, I like bond at the alligator farm I, I think my highlights would probably be the average film goers highlights uh to be honest with you like i i could I could dig through the trench and I could find other little things like, yeah, I think Moore's house coat was awesome or whatever. But I actually think Let <laughs> yeah. Die is one of these films where it's remembered for those set pieces and the set pieces really do communicate the strength of the picture. Like mm -hmm. um, I have real problem with the James Bond character, um, not as a spy, right? As a spy in the real world, using deception to take away, you know, uh, to find information. But he uses deception to take away this young woman's virginity. He doesn't think a fuck about that. He doesn't care about that at all. And he's not really doing it to gain information no. apart from yeah. where's, where's the heroin field kind of the poppy field kind of like yeah. he kind of gets that. It's not like if I sleep with you, um, like Corinne Defour helps him out in Moonraker. Like here's a blueprint of something that you can go investigate. Mm. He basically takes advantage of Solitaire. He gets to sleep with her and doesn't return much, except for I mean, yeah, yeah fine, he saves and her. He in the story, but, and yeah, he, he doesn't, doesn't need to. And he doesn't need to. That's it. it. He doesn't because need to. Because she do pulled it. the she pulled the card earlier. Two sets of cards. So mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Like they could have wrote it so that he didn't need to do that. And they always we already had a scene of him tricking Rosie Carver and is using Rosie Carver. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and that feels more balanced because she was working for Kananga. And it's a very similar to the situation of like Bond and Dr. No with Miss Tarot. You know what I mean? Like it's That's that right. kind of yeah. it's that sort of thing. Yeah. It's that sort of thing. Whereas like with Solitaire, he didn't need a manipulator because she was already aware that Bond was her destiny. Uh -huh. As as stupid as that is, like yes. it's still better than what they did after what the, when they built upon that even further by mm -hmm. having that deception you know what i mean yeah yeah the deception was more yeah. for like here's the joke of bond with the stacked deck of cards instead of necessary for you know the, the unsolving the mystery or getting rid of the bad guy like so i don't think that holds up too well um but <laughs> no. i i think you know i think roger moore 50 years in retrospect i think roger moore's entrance into the series was strong. I still think Live and Let Die is a strong Roger Moore performance. I just yeah. don't enjoy I just don't enjoy the picture as much as I as much as I remember enjoying it. Yeah. Even four years ago when yeah. we did this retrospective. And as a teenager, I think I enjoyed it more, you know, and I, I now that I've yeah, seen sure. past that a wee bit. I uh, yeah, I think it's a weaker film and obviously a problem film racially. Uh, and I don't enjoy it as much. Yeah. Hot take. I enjoy Moonraker more than Live and Let Die. I'm just saying, I do. Yeah, I, I, I do too. I don't think that's such a hot take given its, uh, no. given its yeah. changes of setting and its silliness. Like, I think its changes of setting help 
help the film a little better than this one does. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I still maintain though that Spy Who Loved Me is my favorite Roger Moore entry. Like, I I just I, yeah. Like, you you get the start of Roger Moore as Bond as he wanted to play Bond, and 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 that's what I really liked about it. Because even with Man with the Golden Gun, this ruthless Connery imitation still continues on in that movie, but it's so tonally off as some parts of Live and Let Die are, mm-hmm. that he's just mm-hmm. not quite getting the character yet. Yeah. Like, it's a good debut for Roger Moore, Live and Let Die, don't get me wrong. And in terms of, like, highlights, I would say the whole New York sequence, I think, is my favorite part of the movie. I love the kind of the film noir feel, the detective. I like Bond going into the voodoo yeah. shop. I like him brazenly going yeah. into Harlem, you yeah. know? And I love it, Josh. I love it when he's like, uh, uh, wrap it lengthwise. I mean, it's a fucking snake. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, mean, like, I like that but, writing. I think that was clever. I think it's fun. And that gives enough time for a distract for a distraction, even though she knew she was onto him. But even still, I love all the New York oh, like yeah. sequence, like seeing New York in the seventies, like in HD and like that. It looks beautiful. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of reading like old school Spider Man, like the seventies Spider Man, and because I recognize like how they would draw parts of New York City in those comics and that was reflected really well in in the film for me so I enjoyed that part of it but uh the opening sequence like with all which we don't have Bond in the middle of an operation it's just a prologue for like the movie which is kind of interesting um we, we don't get that much in Bond films I don't think like that kind of prologue maybe you only live twice I suppose that kind of had that yeah maybe prologue, even though it cuts to like Bond being killed in in Shanghai but anyway uh or hong kong i think it was yeah hong kong hong kong um but uh yeah all the the new york stuff was great i like the new uh the sam monique stuff it's it's so it's okay i I prefer like the the to me the highlight of the sam monique was like the whole bus chase I thought mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. that was cool. That was a great um, scene, yeah. The uh, the fast acting venom yeah, of the true. garden hose that doesn't hold up very well. That no. just does not hold up. No. That doesn't make any sense. No, it really doesn't. A and non-bite also, snake, yeah. Not a fan of the day for night shots when Bond is doing the paragliding and landing on to like Solitaire's mansion or Kananga's mansion. Like the more and more I see Bond old Bond movies and the night for day like just really you can tell they're filming during the day, but they tint it so it's blue. And I get it. But at the same time, like, I just notice it more and more these days. I know. I, I was going to say, uh, you know, give Bond credit for wearing a black turtleneck in uh, San Monique, which is basically Jamaica slash Haiti. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what the hell are you doing? Yeah, he's a he... heat stroke before you. What the hell? I'm, I'm pretty sure Archer's. Archer, the uh, cartoon, you know, I'm pretty sure he saw that because he has like yeah, the exactly the tactic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's totally based on it, Roger man. Moore's "Living Let yeah, Die" t- outfit. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. I have the money, though, like, well, I That's love right. the Magnum and the holster and like the black t- turtleneck. Roger Moore in Harlem with that suit with the black gloves. Yeah, uh, and, the, and the long coat. It's, it's lovely. He look, yeah, he looked really, really cool. He looked really good. Uh, for New Orleans, uh, I actually mm-hmm. found like the plane sequence is fun. It's a nice bit of comedy and fun. As I said, we discussed earlier the riverboat, the uh, the, the river chase. It's a bit too long, in my opinion, but that's mm-hmm. mostly because of the insertion of J.W. Pepper. So that always kind of wrinkles that sequence for me a bit. It takes out of the pacing. But I do agree with Scott that there is in the moments where the boat chase was going, there's some good suspense and moments there in between. So mm-hmm. it could have turned out a little differently, in my opinion. I would have handled it in a different way. But I what, think the sound know, editing in that scene is really good, much like it is during the um during the freeway 
yeah. scene where um, Charlie gets shot by Whisper. You know, I, I like I like the sound editing in, in those scenes. And I think the score is used effectively throughout the film. This this does remain one of my favorite Bond scores, even though, you know, we are talking about, you know, the music hitting all the points and stuff. I still feel yeah. for me, for me, at least this this is uh, up there with and better than some of John Barry's music for Bond. I really really like this music things that i liked about the film it kind of faded away a little bit in light of my my revisiting and rethinking about you know kananga's death which we talked about during oh, the show yeah. it's even stupider this time around um and and more mm-hmm. insulting i think to to the gravitas yes. of, of of the performance uh whisper i think deserved a little bit better as well uh, he's a cool henchman he was a, you know, he's a good, he's a good henchman, but unfortunately he's not, he's not, he's not like muscular and effective. He doesn't fight, but he does cool things and he hangs around. And I like that Mr. Big would have him, Kananga would have him on staff. I like that. I think Even that's, though he, tre- he treats him like crap though, like with that whole, true, like does, with, yeah. with, with yeah. the air gun thing. And there's, Tihi seems like yeah. the most loyal adherent uh, to Kananga. Yeah, Tihi's great. Uh, my friend was pointing yep. out though how like he has just this goofy smile, but then he he, he caught immediately. You could tell that he was wearing the the uh, fake uh, hook on his arm. Right? Oh yeah, you, it, you can oh, totally 100%. tell. percent. Yeah, just yeah. the way that the, the the suit jacket bent like oh, yeah. in his in the actor. Yeah, yeah, it was. Good. It was yeah, it's like. Yeah. And but, I think my favorite Bond yeah. gadget of the series still stands. I love the watch with the magnet and with the buzz saw, like. That Rolex it's, Submariners is is a classic, and I remember when we ranked yeah. our when we ranked our uh, gadgets. Uh, again, yeah. I would encourage Sorry. listeners to go back to the end of our season, our first season, to listen to the because we we went right into these films, um, and this is obviously us at the end of it all now. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that Rolex Submariner was high on all of our lists. I think when we ranked our gadgets, Jeff, what what are your takeaways, man? Like in terms of Live and Let Die, fifty years after it came out. We were all born late 70s, early 80s, so we weren't here when this movie came out, but we grew up with it. Um, Has any of the shine wore off on you like it did me? Yeah, it did. Um, It felt clunky, like it it felt long, like in the middle, I was like, okay, it's, you know, um, I did enjoy the opening. Like I said, like I did sort of enjoy that. It felt kind of like a like a spy movie, just sort of showing you know hits. It was you know just the different hits of that. That was cool. Uh, one thing that bothered me is I'm like the CIA should not be operating within the United States. That's just yeah. You mentioned that when you mentioned that when we went through it the first time. But yeah, I think I think yeah. you said I think you found out that there is like a small office that that is dedicated to you know internal affairs, yeah. so to speak. It would be FBI. Yeah. Yeah, it would. Be. Well, technically, I mean, if or it's NSA. domestic, they would have. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, but ultimately, te- technically, but yeah, they would just have like interagency stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it, I, I don't think it doesn't. This film for me doesn't hold up that well, and like it's a bit, it, it's pretty cringy in certain areas. I mean, I still enjoy it. I mean. Uh, it's interesting to see, you know, New York City early seventies, the way it was filmed on location, and apparently pretty dangerous. Uh, and uh, and also like bombed out areas of Harlem, which was uh, realistic and actual, <laughs> you know. Um, um, I, I did, I did. It, it's an enjoyable film to watch, but at the same time, it's just there's a lot of cringeworthy things that I guess maybe upon watching this time, I just it just. Um, 
rub me the wrong way, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's I mean, funny I'm because that... it's of its time, but at the same time, some of the earlier sure. Connery films survive better than Live and Let Die because, yeah. because of the yes, trends, because exactly. of the black exploitation, because of the voodoo, because mm. of the white yep. man in a in a black neighborhood, like because of that stuff, which the Connery films they skirted around controversies and obviously you know the sexism and stuff mm. is a different story altogether it's it's worth yeah. its own yeah full investigation yeah, yeah. but i find live and let die is probably one of the bond films that's going to age worse because because yeah. of that kind of trying too hard to do something different whereas you know putting your guy exactly. in a new place where you know racial tensions are going to come up having black actors perform all villainous roles like None of the other Bond films did that. I mean, you got Quarrel, you got Quarrel Jr., and you've got Struthers. Sure, but that's it, right? Like, I, I think. Do you, do you guys agree with yeah. that? That some of the Connery older films, even though he might be more sexist as a James Bond, the relationship in this one, the racial tensions in this one, it's just a recipe for not aging well. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. I, I agree that it's true. Like the some of the earlier Connery ones are less cringeworthy than this film. Yeah, I mean, look at, I, I mean, they, they turned Connery into a Japanese man, which obviously is, it's not recommended, yeah. not recommended kids, don't try that at home, but <laughs> there, there was, there was greater sensitivity towards the Japanese culture, wasn't there, in that film, Living, um, You Only Live Twice, yeah. than we it's got towards Black America, African American yeah. New York, and San Monique, it didn't seem so, let's make fun of it as it did, let's celebrate being here. You know, and if we're aping things and not getting them right, then I think it's kind of coming from a nice place. Whereas I think even Mankiewicz would say we weren't necessarily trying to come at it from a right place. We were trying to hit something that was popular at the time and do our own spin on it. Well, yeah, with, with the with the black exploitation style, you yeah. know, like just it's new, it's fresh. Let's let's see, let's try and put Bond yeah. in this style of yeah. film. And that's when Strutter, I think, is his role in the, in the film. I think that was a missed opportunity. You don't need to balance things out by having a, a goofy, cringy sheriff in the, the in like in one of the big set pieces. Instead, you know, you could have developed Strutter a little bit more in, in that sense. But I mean, they did yeah. have Coral Junior. Okay, I, I I appreciate that, and I do like the fact that world from the dr no gets a bit of a redemption here and reincarnation in his son i'm assuming it's his son yeah uh you know because how terribly he's killed off in dr no as well um yeah that's horrible too you're right well guys for my part um live and let die is still going to remain because of my love for roger moore it's still going to remain a film that i'll watch again obviously and i, I still celebrate it for its soundtrack and for some of its set pieces and its its costumery and and whatnot but the revisitation has opened my eyes a bit more than outside of the fandom it's opened my eyes a bit more objectively to the the age relationship this, the manipulation of sexuality the racial tensions it's not a film i enjoy watching like i did when i was younger and a bit more naive and i fully appreciate how a modern younger bond fan would not terribly be interested in this one i i get it like i totally get it mm -hmm. and uh, granio mm -hmm. by the way i think I, I think granio i'm gonna have to go back and listen to uh, this interview again but double ogo yeah. wasn't keen on it either um, but she could have been coming from her own place of I don't want to see voodoo on the screen. She that could totally been, could be true. Yeah, her her dis her disagreement could have been totally different to ours. She may have been more 
along Fleming's line of thought. But anyway, yeah. My, so um, yeah. my mutual friend, uh, he went to um, India where he became where he got a, a degree in, for being a yoga guru, so that he could teach it back in Canada, which he, which he does now uh, uh, as like a side job. And he was telling me because we're talking about tarot cards, and he was saying that a lot of new agey people are into tarot cards. Like it's mm. not just like the mediums and stuff like mm-hmm, that. It's mm-hmm. a big trend. And a lot of the yoga community uses the tarot cards. So I found that kind of interesting. I wasn't aware of that subculture. Cool. Because I have, I have friends who were in, really into yoga and I'm wondering, did they do the tarot card thing? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So that's my verdict. It's uh, it's fallen down on my, my rankings of a few points for sure, but uh, still some good stuff in there, you know, yeah, I think watching this movie yeah. again justified my feelings towards it, why I don't enjoy it as much as the other Roger Moore Bonds. I feel like Scott might have had when he rewatched it for the first season of our show. I think he might have had the the, the, the rose colored glasses of nostalgia on him. And yeah, I guess a little maybe... bit, but it, was, it, it hasn't been a complete 180, though, for me, because that ep- in that episode, I was very critical of the, of the film. Yeah, uh, I just feel like as I watch it more. I'm growing more critical of the film. Like I remember <laughs> yeah, being surprised yeah. when we did it That's for like that, me. for that mammoth episode, but I'm yeah. just getting more distaste for it. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess that, that concludes our discussion of the 50th anniversary of live and let die. Uh, definitely a seminal entry in the bond series, uh, despite, you know, it's shortcomings and stuff that doesn't age well these days, but you know, still enjoyable in its own way. It's just you have to look at it through a different lens and, to, you know, to glean the good from the bad, I suppose. I, I think you're right. Jeff, we'll give you the last word on Live and Let Die at 50, buddy. Oh, oh well, um, you know, uh, 50 years, it's uh, it's a celebration. Uh, you know, congratulations <laughs> on being 50 years old. Uh, but again, with a lot of things, uh, you know, that are 50 years old or, or you know, that they stand, try and stand the test of time, uh, live and let die. <laughs> it doesn't, I think what we've discussed here is that it does in some cases, but in the majority of them, it does not. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was fun. It was a fun rewatch. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it won't be one I'll necessarily be watching again anytime soon, but it's, yeah, you know, just, no. I do enjoy... Uh, seeing like an early uh, Roger Moore, like his, you know, like the opening shots and him just sort of, it's cool seeing that. Um, <laughs> that's the one thing I did enjoy is sort of a, a young Roger Moore sort of, you know, cutting his teeth on a, in the yeah. role like that. It was what was it? 45 year old Roger Moore in that movie, right? 43. I, I think, think so. 43. Yeah. But yeah, but he was the, he was the, uh, he was the oldest Bond like oh, okay. to, be, to be hired, yeah. right? I think Craig was 39 or something. Yeah, Moore was he was forty three when they were filming it because yeah. he was born in twenty nine, right September, and yeah. they would have been filming it around that time seventy two. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, you know what, everybody, go back oh, and check okay. out our episode from uh, season one. It was like three and a half hours, and that's not three and a half hours of bad chat like you've heard here today. That was three and a half <laughs> hours of features. We did we did production, we did review, we did music, we did books, literature, and an interview with our then 92-year-old or 91-year-old grandmother who got us All into right. the series in the first place. So, uh, yeah, check that one out if you want. And uh, anyway, it's it's been fun. I'm thinking, guys, I'm going to do a... Uh, I think I'm going to do a 70th anniversary of the book episode later this season for, for folks, including yourself. So 
that'll be okay. that'll be neat. I'll do a little dig dive, and that'll be a Double O Origins episode. Maybe I'll. Uh, it's been on the back burner for a while. I'll finally get that one out. The original edition or the edited edition that they just the original edition, yeah, yeah. But we can talk then about the edited edition. Yep. Have you seen like the cover designs for like the the, the new editions? Mm-hmm, they look mm-hmm. fantastic. They do. Yep. Like, yep. They're really cool. I I was very impressed by them. Yeah, there's some great ones there for sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of books, Josh, what have we got coming up on Bomb by Numbers as our second or as our final season gets underway? What's our next episode? Uh, uh, that would be John Gardner's Scorpius. Yeah, we've recently read the seventh uh, Scorpius, uh, seventh John Gardner book. So we'll we'll have a chat to share with you about that one. Uh, these these Gardner books, man, I tell you what, they they come out every year. <laughs> it's like clockwork, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're halfway through that now. Yeah, they get churned out like sausages. They do, they do. Speaking of, I think it's time to go put on supper. So let's there you go. Let's wrap it up, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoy your rewatch and celebration of Live and Let Die at 50. If you're so bold as to have a party in honor of this 50th anniversary, make sure you send us your pictures. Uh, Post them, share them with us on uh, on Instagram. (laughs) If you want to find us on the socials, uh, what are we, guys? Help me out again. I forget. BBN underscore pod uh, on Instagram. On Instagram, yep. uh, Bondbynumbers3 at gmail.com. Facebook and is... uh, not existing these days yeah <laughs> who cares <laughs> clearly time to go all right <laughs> no that was a comment on what i feel about facebook uh, either way it doesn't matter it's yeah. a comment on either one it's fine with me <laughs> I, well, was that a meta moment <laughs> was, yeah oh, it really was nice. Yeah. Nice. take care everybody and see, uh, see what i did there check you your bathtubs check your bathtubs for snakes yeah Need to get one it's of those, not poisonous, like... by the way. It's actually not poisonous. Oh no, it's not a water Check. moccasin or something or whatever that was. No, oh, it's called a. Oh my god, I had it. Um, Milk snake. Oh, it's a king. No, no, it's like a oh, my god. coral snake. No, those are poisonous. no, no. It's like a king. It's called a king snake. Uh, oh man, I even had to. I just closed the page, anyways. But well, it's not one... poisonous. It okay. bites. Yeah. But it does. It's not poisonous at all. So it's like a big garter snake, essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah, kind of. I, I it guess. does fling its poop though, and uh, it gets agitated. It does have a rattle on its tail, mm-hmm. but it's not poisonous. But I still don't want to get bit by one. I'm not lie. Well, you won't get bit by that one for a couple of no. reasons. First nope. of all, it was nope. Um, it's a bit crispy. Bar- <laughs> Bar- tastes like chicken. Tastes like chicken. Yeah. <laughs>